Welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brent. And on this episode, now it begins, because it's time to execute a perfect cut with the creepy crawl of SST-252, the Negative Land Helter Stupid record. And wow, what a record. It's actually quite timely, I would say, kind of like every Negative Land record that we have on the show. Very cool to get into Negative Land. And this is one of their most infamous releases they have many and this is one of their most infamous yeah with good reason yeah really looking forward to getting into it but brant before we talk about this helter stupid record it seems apropos for me to read the news shall i (laughs) okay (laughs) so for my spiels i'm gonna read the news okay yeah here we go it's uh, docs, books, and tunes. Hmm. You know, no surprise there. Pretty Anyways, similar got... to my spiel. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. Go excellent. <laughs> All right. So for rock docs, I've got two to mention that I saw are coming out. Um, I haven't seen them yet, but looking forward to getting an opportunity to check them out when they're available. First one is called We Were Famous, You Don't Remember. This is a documentary on the embarrassment We mentioned The Embarrassment a number of times on this show. Uh, Great art indie post-punk band from uh, the 80s and uh, reformed later on. But you can check out the trailer at embossdoc.com, E-M-B-O-S-D-O-C.com. Really looking forward to that one. Mm -hmm. A second documentary that I saw announced i'm i'm looking forward to just as much maybe even a bit more because uh we covered roland s howard on the show here a number of episodes back but mutiny in heaven the birthday party there is a birthday party documentary coming out finally you can see the trailer at birthdaypartymovie.com that one's going to be amazing for sure Hmm. i had not heard of either of those yeah birthdaypartymovie.com now those are my rock docs here's a book for you This book is called Weird Music That Goes On Forever, A Punk's Guide to Loving Jazz. Saw that, yeah. Yeah, by Bob Surin. I think I'm pronouncing that right, S-U-R-E-N. He's the same guy that wrote this book that I read way back, way, way back, called Crate Digger, which was decent. Brian Walsby is doing the cover art for this book. It comes out on Microcosm Publishing. You can pre-order it now. And here's a good quote that I, I liked um, in some of the uh, the copy for this book. It says, The only book that makes reading about jazz more fun than getting arrested for vandalism. <laughs> I saw that and it's definitely piqued my interest for sure. Yeah, there's a couple of questions with some of the, the promo materials. It says, Question, was Sun Ra the real black flag? Question, did Chet Baker party harder than Gigi Allen? Hmm. Did Charles Mingus write the first punk song? Who was the butthole surfers of jazz? And I guess Bob is seeking to answer all of that. And I'm definitely going to read that book when it comes out. Yeah, me too. All right, some tunes, man. Some of this is on the tree as well, so hang in there. The first one I want to mention actually relates to uh, an artist from several bands that I've been a fan of for a long time. Pierre Kesdi, bass player for Naked Raygun and others, Arsenal peg boy strike under trial by fire he passed away a few years back from cancer but out on big minnow records there is a a comp out tribute comp called godspeed a tribute to pierre kedzie it's got a number of bands from that scene it has a track by peg boy on it a track from jay robbins you're definitely gonna like that all the funds go to the kedzie family good cause good comp check it out uh, and before I get on to some releases on the SS Tree brand, I don't know who's on first, but... Watts on bass. There we go. Watts <laughs> on bass. All right. A new release by SLW and Watt called Purple Pie Plow. Perfect Mike Watt album title, by the way. This, of course, is uh, Mike Watt and Samuel Locke Ward. This is 24 tracks, 40 minutes, their third release together. You can pick it up on their band camp. It's being released by Kill Rockstars. Very cool to check this out. I haven't heard it yet, but uh, my copy is going to be coming in the mail soon, I hope. Samuel Locke Ward, we've mentioned him every time one of these new releases come out. A prolific singer, songwriter, and illustrator. His collabs with Watt are very cool. And there are some guest musicians 
on this one as well, including Jojack Talcum from the mm-hmm. Dead Milkmen. Mm-hmm. So check out that new release by SLW and Watt, Purple Pie Plow. There's a now, new Dead Milkman record, by the way. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Have you heard it? Uh, about half of it. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's probably worth checking out. I didn't really dig their last one. Yeah. Uh, didn't really dig what I heard of this one either. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have quite the soft spot for Dead yeah. Milkman, so I'll probably have to check it out. Yeah, me too. Okay, well, obviously Watt is on the SS tree, but here's some other non-Watt releases on the SS tree. And the first one was a bit of a surprise, a shocker, when I saw this one. It's Johnny's Uncalled For, The Lost Album. I think this is coming out on Wick Records. And who's in Johnny's Uncalled For, Brent? That would be JG, John Golden. Yeah, I think John mentioned it when he was a guest on our show Um, Or maybe to you offline, but finally it's being released. This is 14 tracks of post-Elvis, pre-British Invasion, unadultered rock and roll. And John Golden is in the band, so definitely on the SS tree and definitely worth checking out. Yeah, so uh, John sent me a copy. I have it sitting here. I haven't had a chance to listen to it or really dive into it yet, but it looks like there's like extensive liner notes too. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, be- I bet you it's mastered really well, too, hey? <laughs> you would think. <laughs> I would think, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, also on the SS tree, on the reissue front, Happy Squid Records. They are re-releasing the Happy Squid Sampler 7-inch. It's actually being re-released on Space Case Records. That's the same label that released the Urinals book last year. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure you've mentioned this before, and actually, I got two copies sitting here that Vita sent us. One's for you. What? Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice, yeah. I've mentioned this before, that this one's being re-released? Yep. Oh, man. Pretty certain. Or or maybe it was, yeah, pretty sure. Maybe it was John Tally Jones when he was on the show. Oh, yeah, 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 maybe. Well, it's been a while since you and I have done an episode. It's possible that you you tweeted something at me, and that's what you're thinking of. Maybe. Um, It's also possible I'm totally wrong. This one, I don't think we've mentioned, at least in this level of detail. I think we've alluded to it, perhaps, but Das Domin, Brandt. The Domin. Yeah. 1986 Keeps Me Wild, re-releasing their first EP. It's being reissued on Dromedary Records out in October. It's a remastered and augmented version of the original EP that was originally issued on Thurston Moore's Ecstatic Peace Records and then subsequently re-released on SST. It has what uh, what the press release calls an array of previous unreleased demos, reimagined tracks, and a brand new issue of Lyle Heisen's legendary fanzine Damaged Goods, which features a comprehensive timeline, flyers, history, and testimonials from a bunch of people, including, of course, Thurston Moore. It has uh, these never-before-heard demos, and then some of the reworked versions have friends of the band on it, like Des Kadena guests on a track. Thalia from Come is on there. Gary Lee Connor plays on a track. John Robinson from The Fluid. They've also released a new video for their track, Trick Question, and it looks killer, man. Mine is already ordered. Yeah, so Lyle sent us some promo copies. I read the zine. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, Jennifer Schwartz does a little piece in it. Um, it's really good. The release itself is like an hour long. Like yeah. With all the the bonus tracks. So way expanded from the original EP. It's super awesome. Yeah. And the Domin are reforming for the Dromedary 30, Dromedary Records weekend long celebration on uh, September 30th. And then it says in the press release, quote, Additional shows are under consideration, yeah. end quote. Yeah. And you know what that means? Dustamin playing our windup. Yeah. That's, That's all. That means. It's all coming full, full circle now. <laughs> Absolutely. I can't wait. I wish I could be there, man. That would be so killer. Yeah. To see Dustamin reformed. And you know they would just rule so hard. Oh, yeah. That's all I got, man. Reading the news. You got some news? Yeah. I have a rock doc alert. Do it. Okay. So in the past few weeks, I was able to knock two off of my list that I've been wanting to see. Nightclubbing, The Birth of Punk in NYC. 
written and directed by Danny Garcia. Danny has directed a number of great rock docs. The Stiv Bader's one, mm. uh, one on Brian Jones, which was really great. Uh, one on Sid and Nancy called Sad Vacation that I've never seen. Uh, he did The Rise and Fall of the Clash, Looking for Johnny, kind of the definitive Thunders documentary. This one's great. It's mainly focused on the history of Max's Kansas City and its importance in the history of punk rock and kind of tries to write a, a historical wrong in terms of it Max's kind of being overshadowed by CBs. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally. From I was just th- I was just thinking that it's like we know about Max's, but it doesn't get its due compared to CBs. Yeah. Uh, lots of great footage. The, you know, requisite talking heads, Jane County, Alice Cooper, Alan Vega, HR and Doc are both in it. Uh, Lenny Kay, JJ French of Twisted Sister, Stephen Blush, lots of scenesters and people from the Velvet's Warhol crew and all the way up to kind of, you know, the starting of hardcore. It's a really good documentary. Does it have any of the bands that were passing through that that I recall mentioning Max's in like the the books and whatnot that I've read? Like I'm thinking of, you know, the Cleveland bands or even Georgia bands like B-52s or something. Uh, it's got some of that kind of stuff, yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, like that's, the that Dead Boys good. obviously played there a lot. And, yeah, yeah. Yep. And then another one is The Dream Syndicate. How did we find ourselves here? Directed by Emil Spolder. It is awesome. Again, tons of amazing footage. It kind of goes through their history and chronological order, which is still my preferred format for these rock docs. I can appreciate some of the artier ones that have come out recently, like the, the VU one, for example. But at the end of the day, I want the goods on what was happening year over year with a band and how, how the albums were, ma- were made. And this one totally delivers. Almost everyone you could want participates. Steve Wynn is interviewed extensively. Paul B. Cutler. Chris D. is in it. I was sending you pictures of like this awesome snakeskin jacket that he's wearing <laughs> for his interview. That's where that's from? Okay. Yeah. Dennis Duck, Mark Walton, Jason Victor, the amazing guitarist in the reactivated version of, of the Dream Syndicate. A few notable absences. Uh, Carl Percota didn't participate. I pretty sure there's bad blood there. Steve Wynn kind of alludes to that. Uh, Kendra was interviewed, but by phone, uh, not in person. It's a phenomenal documentary. It pairs really well with the new Dream Syndicate box set. History kind of pales when it and you are aligned, which is a four-disc 40th anniversary edition of their classic debut, The Days of Wine and Roses, produced by Chris D, actually. Uh, That box set has it all. Tons of outtakes, a live set from the Country Club in Reseda in 82, and another from the Backstage Club in Tucson from that same year. Much like their Out of the Grey reissue box set, it's totally essential. I only hope they have enough in the vault to give their best album, Medicine Show, the same treatment. Mm. Hey, so speaking of the Paisley Underground, I know that you're a bigger fan of that than I am but you know what band I stumbled into in the last couple of weeks is this band called True West which you probably know them right and Russ Tolman oh yeah I've been I've talked about them a lot on the show I yeah talked about their box set I'm pretty sure when I got it yeah I don't know I mean I I think I've tried out True West over the years and I know you've mentioned it as you say um, but I kind of just got into their uh, their first album, I think, Drifters, yeah. recently. Yeah. I stumbled across that. It's good. Yeah, it, their records are easy enough to find. There's a three-CD box set that's just totally essential that came out, like, last year or the year before. Is it, like, an anthology or... Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, like, but do they jumble up the tracks and stuff? No, no. It goes through... They have a lot of EPs, so it's oh, it's all okay. their EPs and and... It's, it's all chronological, and then there's a bunch of un- unreleased stuff and a, a live album. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where I've heard about them, I've seen them. You've probably recommended them to me a million times, and then it just happened kind of organically without it being forced. Yeah. And uh, I was even checking out some Russ Tolman solo records. They're decent. Yeah, for sure they are. Yeah. And I, I'm probably preaching to the choir, though, right? Yep. Okay, uh, I have a book report, Ryan. Steve Turner and Adam Tapalita. Um Mudride, a messy trip through the grunge explosion. Pretty much dropped everything I was doing and plowed through this book when it showed up in my mailbox. Loved every minute of it. If you're a Mudhoney fan, it's a great companion to the Keith Cameron Mudhoney book and also the I'm Now documentary on the band. Uh, 
but it's also a great companion to the what I consider to be the definitive book on grunge, Everybody Loves Our Town, because Steve really does offer a bird's eye perspective on all of that. Uh, it's great. Talks a lot about his love of skateboarding and all of his pre-Mud Honey bands like Green River. Some of the other stuff like the Monkey Wrench. Definitely dropped a few band names that I had to uh, do a bit of digging into. Uh-oh. Yeah. Told some really interesting stories I had never heard before, especially around the, the death of Kurt Cobain and stuff, you know, stuff from that era. It's a great read. Yeah, I know we mentioned it back, but you uh, you went start to finish on it, hey? Oh, yeah. Wow. And was it a bird's eye view or an insider's view? Both. Whoa. <laughs> Can't wait to read it myself. I was, uh, I just finished uh, the Terry Chimes book that's been collecting dust for me hmm. for a couple of years, uh, including the chapter on Hanoi Rocks, by the way. Right, you the, mentioned in, that, yeah. In the Terry Chimes book. Yeah. And... Uh, I, I'm I'm now trying to decide what's next. Maybe you just put that one right on top. Yeah. Should we get into this Helter Stupid record? Yeah, man. History lesson, part one. All right, Brant. It's our third Negative Land release, but of course, this is not their third record. We've been through their history uh, on previous episodes, like 133, Escape from Noise, where we had Mark Hosler on the show, and then most recently, 233, JamCon 84, where we had Mark and the Weatherman on. This is our, our third release, as I say, and uh, one of their most infamous ones. We've got at least one, maybe two more pretty infamous ones to cover on this show. Um, but I would say this one is quite connected, though, to episode 133, because the track that really made things Helter Stupid was on that one. Very interesting snapshot in time this release and also when you do a bit of research on it you find out how you know just like every negative land release it seems totally subversive and totally timely still like totally relevant everything yeah. negative land does everything is still relevant their their culture jamming their commentary uh it's quite it's quite controversial for sure i'm not even sure i mentioned this to you on the side over the last couple of weeks whether you know, you could get away with this. No, uh, these days the like, band has even said that there's no yeah. way they could do this today. Yeah. yeah, but not just because of the speed that media moves at. But I'm like, I'm wondering if you know, you could get hauled away in cuffs if you did this these days. But anyways, yeah, where should where should we go with this one? Well, I'll give you a little rundown here. So the group refer refers to this release as their notorious 1989 axe murder hoax project. So here's from the. <laughs> Here's from the Sealand website, that's the, the band's label, where you can score a reissue of this release. In part one, Negative Land exposes their own manipulation of the media when a startling prank of theirs swells to monstrous proportions, while side two has everything you once needed to know about radio's selling of the past in a future which hasn't happened yet, but is now old news. Upon its release, Negative Land raised the bar on themselves by setting some provocative new standards for complex audio collage work, and in this era of intense media spin and manipulation of public perception, this darkly humorous project is as relevant as ever. Yeah. And then they say, SST may be selling this album in an unauthorized edition from which we've not received royalties since 1992. Please buy it from us instead. And confirmed, Ryan, uh, SST does have it for sale in their SST Superstore, so make sure you go over to Sealand and, and buy a copy from directly from the artist. Yeah, I was actually going to mention that later on. Like, you can, I, I've seen a sealed brand new copy of this in the bins at my local record stores. Yeah. And uh, I've got a beat up old compact disc of this one. Yeah. So the liner notes on both versions, the SST and the Sealand version, kind of detail how the whole thing went down with Helter Stupid, the kind of A side of the record. So it, it kind of starts chronologically October 20th, 1987. They release Escape from Noise. I'm going to give a Cliff Notes version of these, which includes the cut Christianity is Stupid, featuring the found vocal of Reverend Estes Perkle, which we, we covered on the uh, Escape from Noise episode. Yeah, from Richard's archives, hey? Yeah. Okay, I'll read this part, Ryan. 
February 20th, 1988. Story appears in the New York Times, National Wire, Wire Services, and Radio and TV Network News relate relating the arrest of 16-year-old David Brom in the axe murders of his father, mother, sister, and brother two days earlier in Rochester, Minnesota. The New York Times article mentions that David and his father may have argued over a music tape David had listened to. The Brahms are described as devout Roman Catholic family. Okay, so this is this part, this next part's key. March 10th, 1988. Negative Land cancels the tour when it becomes apparent that the tour will lose money. The group decides to send their American label, SST Records, a phony press release for distribution, which, which attributes the cancellation of the tour to pressure from federal official Dick Jordan, who has advised the band not to leave town pending an investigation into the Braum murders. The press release implies that David and his parents had been arguing about Negative Land's song, Christianity is Stupid, just prior to the murders. The New York Times article is distri distributed with the press release. So that part's key. And the headline of the Negative Land press release, Ryan, was Negative Land Tour Axed at Last Minute. <laughs> <laughs> so they, dis oh, they discussed... They must, they must have just been pissing themselves when they were writing this, hey? Oh, yeah. Well, I think maybe lit actually shitting themselves a little bit because... <laughs> I'm not sure if they thought this was going to go as far as it did, but they discussed this in their 1995 film, Sonic Outlaws. Um, Mark says, the real reason we weren't going to, this is, he's talking about the tour. The real reason was we weren't going to make any money. We couldn't afford to take time off from our jobs and lose money. One member of the group suggested we come up with a more interesting reason for why we can't tour. And that member was, uh, was Richard Lyons. So there's a great article, Ryan, which we ref will be referencing throughout this episode from the yeah. new issue of Maggot Brain. That's the Third Man Records uh, magazine at Maggot Brain issue 13. This just came out. This is the summer 2023 issue of that magazine, and it's it's hitting the shelves this the same month that we're doing this episode. It's amazing. Yeah, serendipity, man. The article is by Corey Fry, and it's entitled Coming Down Fast, How Negative Land Jammed the News, The Helter Stupid Saga 34 Years Later. So they talk a little bit about, well, this is quite an extensive article. It's, I don't know how many pages, but it's long and it's super detailed. So here's where they're talking about the band's status, I guess, during this era and why they canceled the tour. It says, when Escape from Noise performed better than expected, embraced by widely regarded tastemakers like Robert Christigau, and scoring a half year of alternative radio spins, Negative Land confronted a frustrating problem. Its members were accustomed to performing sporadically around town a few times a year, building each set from scratch. They had difficulty replicating this complicated work with its carefully sampled Selma Gundy live, Plus, few people in prominent positions at venues outside their state knew who they were. On top of that, everyone had jobs and couldn't afford to take time off work. Therefore, a national tour, which the band needed after a some, somewhat successful record, was out of the question. Everyone stayed home to plan Escape's follow-up, an excoriating takedown of the advertising industry. And then it talks about how Richard Lyons was working his security guard gig sees the, the New York T Times headlines about these murders, these Brahm murders, um, and he, he devises this plan to, to come up with this press release uh, with this inept federal investigator, Dick Jordan, totally made up. This whole thing's bullshit. <laughs> Dick Jordan, FBI. Yeah. <laughs> it says, at first he wrote for his own amusement, killing thankless hours in his shift, but the more he fabricated, the more it made sense to widen this sucker's reach, to push his group from mere commentator to active player, the next logical step. And then it says here, an ever-willing accomplice, SST, <laughs> did just that, firing the, the notice everywhere in March. That's insane, hey? Yeah. The, the label is just like, yeah, man, let's do this. It made me think of, do you remember... You remember the band The Dwarves, how they fake the right. death yeah. of their guitarist and Sub Pop? They were on Sub Pop at the time, and Sub Pop got pissed, right? Yeah, they they were not in on the joke. They were not. <laughs> Whereas SST, they're like, perfect. 
get it out there on the wire. Yeah. It got me thinking, though, like, I've always kind of, I mean, it, I guess it makes sense that Negative Land was on SST. I mean, SST was pretty subversive, too, and, and liked all all kinds of experimental music. But I always thought Negative Land should have been on, on Alternative Tentacles. Uh, yeah. Like, better fit musically. Yeah. And also, Jello just has such a love of pranks, you know? Yeah, and also, I mean, collage, too. The visual artist, yeah. John Yates, yeah. and the collage Winston work Smith there, right? Too. Wis- yeah. Winston Smith, right? Like, uh, and they're from a, the Bay Area. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's so weird. Why didn't they get on AT? I wonder if they're on an alternative tentacles comp somewhere. I bet you they are. Probably. So, yeah, this Braum murder in the middle of the night on February 18th, 1988, 16-year-old David Braum killed four members of his family in Rochester, Minnesota. Um, you can find a lot about this. It's like the 30th anniversary of this killing too. So there's some, some, uh, more recent articles too about this. Uh, his parents, Bernard, Paulette, younger sister, Diane, who was 13 and Richard 11, his younger brother killed them all with an ax. Um, at first the cops maybe thought he, he had been abducted cause he wasn't one of the, the victims. Uh, mm-hmm. but the next day he stopped a friend on his, on his way to school and, and told her what he'd done. She went to the police uh, and they founded him and, and arrested him. On October 16th, 1989, he was convicted of first degree murder and was given three consecutive life sentences. Um, he's 51 years old now, still incarcerated at the Minnesota Correctional Facility in Stillwater, uh, has never given a motive or, or a reason for why he committed the crime. Uh, so he wasn't even convicted yet when this, this record came out in June of 89. It was still pending trial I guess he did tell this this friend that he ran into that um you know on the morning of the killings that he and his dad had had an argument the previous night around 11 30 p.m and and he stayed up until 3 a.m and then he killed them that this whole thing about the argument being related to a dispute about the type of music he was listening to completely fabricated by negative land um but not surprising that people bought in this was the height of the satanic panic with all of the daycare sex uh, abuse hysteria, um, some of that happened up r- around where we were too. Yeah, and it was real, but some of it wasn't, right? Like yeah. some of it, it was just crazy. Yeah, artists like Judas Priest and Ozzy being accused of subliminally encouraging listeners to like take their own lives. You know, the PMRC, um, the uh, parental advisory stickers on records. Um, and all the rest of the bullshit from that era that was kind of peaking around this time. I remember it quite well. Geraldo's primetime special on satanic rock music. Like he interviews Ozzy on that and it's hilarious. You you sh- you can see the whole thing up on YouTube. And it's uh it's really funny, but uh, it wasn't funny at the time. Like people were really getting dragged into this into the satanic panic. Yeah, I always remember those uh clips of motley crew where they're like it doesn't say shout with the devil it says shout <laughs> at the devil mm-hmm. <laughs> the best clip is from this aussie documentary we used to watch all the time it came out around the time of no more tears it's called don't blame me and they have this guy on there who was like the the lawyer for the the parents of this kid that killed himself supposedly because of suicide solution Oh yeah. Yeah, and he's on there going, he's going uh and then you can hear Ozzy going, "Get the gun. Get the gun. Shoot." <laughs> and Oz and then they smash cut to Ozzy and and Ozzy's just going, "Does this guy think I'm a rock star or a bloody scientist?" <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's great. It's so it's so tough, right? Be- and and the article, I think, does a good job of this. Corey's article, I mean, this art, this culture jamming by Negative Land, it makes a point, and it makes a good point, but it is also still intertwined with tragedy, Yeah, you know, as was some of the sat- satanic panic, you know, stuff. Like, there was real bad stuff happening out there, and then it, it got all of a sudden intertwined with all these artists who were just trying to be shocking. They weren't trying to, you know, like, you know, coax your kids into killing someone. Yeah. 
Okay, so back to the timeline. March 16th, 1988, they receive a phone call from uh, several media outlets, Rockpool, Pulse, BAM Magazine, a uh, bunch of fanzines requesting more information. At this point, they, they kind of decide to, you know, j- I guess just play dumb or decline to elaborate. Mm-hmm. And just they're just kind of sitting back and letting the this news snowball. And it, this is where they they this notion comes in that, you know, the news is kind of just this is kind of the where the commentary on the news comes in the news the news creates the news because they had given some interviews but they hadn't actually used their their contribution when the uh the newscasters would go and use it they would edit out negative land and so they're just like well it's doing exactly what we thought the you know the dependence of media on other media stories as their only source material, other than doing real journalism, they really expose that. Uh, Don says in the in the film Sonic Outlaws, um, he says, we found out journalists routinely do not check sources. They simply reprint and cannibalize and copy what's been written elsewhere in the news, which they believe when they read, and it's so routine, it's frightening. Also in that Sonic Outlaws documentary and in their other film, uh, 1989's No Other Possibility, they, they play the actual news clip um, where uh, Hal Eisner, this reporter for Channel 5 Eyewitness News from, yeah. from the Bay Area, goes to their practice space and, and, uh, and uh, interviews them. You can buy a copy of that No Other Possibility on the Sealand website. It's reissued with the... Uh, the CD reissue of a big 10-8 place. And it's awesome, so people should check that out for sure. Yeah, and the liner notes, as Brant mentioned, they kind of give a chronology here. And this was really negative land doing the big reveal through the Helter Stupid record. They kind of did the big reveal, and Corey in his article does a great job of explaining that. It goes through their chronology, and then there is this piece at the end called The Last Word, and I'll spiel it for you. So, from the negative land, Helter Stupid, liner notes. The last word. Somewhere beneath the media representation of the Brahm murders is an inexplicable human tragedy. Our act of creating a false association with such a tragedy will remain open to ethical interpretation. We all swim in an ocean of mass media that fills our minds with people and events with which we have no actual contact at all. We commonly absorb these media presences as part of our own reality, even though any media experience consists only of one-way, edited representations of reality. Negative Land uses this electronic environment of factual fictions as both source and subject for much of our work, keeping in mind that to experience a picture of a thing is not to experience the thing. Our lie was intended for and directed to the media. And it proved very effective in exposing the unreliable process of cannibalization that passes for news. Negative Land chose to exploit the media's eager appetite for particularly sensational stories by becoming a subject they couldn't resist. The latest version of a ridiculous media cliche which proposes that rock song lyrics instigate murder. Common sense suggests that murderers purchase records that appeal to them just as they purchase the weapons they use. Helter Stupid is about the media menu of illusions we all eat from, as well as an attempt to materialize our perception of negative land as a bogus subject of the voracious media meat grinder. Yeah, I don't know how much they instigated. Like, they really just, I mean, obviously, putting out the press release instigated the whole thing, but then they just kind of sat back and, you know, watched it all unfold. They they didn't really keep keep going with it you know there's a lot that's been discussed around the ethics of what they did and here's what mark says in the third man article kind of about the ethics in any creative medium there are always people drawn to doing things within existing vocabularies and traditions i love tons and tons of music as does john he's talking about john lydecker that exist in all those art forms and cinema and novels and paintings. There's also a small percentage of people who get their energy and inspiration by going into areas that seem like they haven't been explored before or even feel forbidden. Negative Land has always had that contrarian spark. The fact that we were doing things we perhaps weren't supposed to do is precisely why it was interesting. Then when things came of it, that egged us on to keep pushing those edges. 
he, you know, he says, Don certainly was a champion for trans transgression in our group meetings. I know I was feeling uncomfortable. We were dealing with a real actual human tragedy. This is something that really happened. It's horrible. It was complicated for me. Don acknowledged that, but he said, no, if you're making art and you're pushing and exploring, that's part of your job. Here's where he's talking about the liner notes or the decision to kind of lay out the whole thing in the liner notes. The other that th thing that came out of our meetings was that the, the responsible thing to do, given how the story had unfolded beyond our wildest dreams, was to make a record out of it and explain that we lied. And then it says, which they baldly state in a summation, the last word, following a meticulous timeline. People can criticize us or argue that there was something sick, twisted, and fucked up about it, but we're now actually being responsible. We're going to pull back the curtain. I also found a, a great interview with Mark and Don Joyce from 1989 from a magazine called Mondo 2000. I found this online. He says, or the, the person writing the article, I, don't, I couldn't find a credit, says, it can be said of Negative Land that they invented their own genre and that no other sound outfit has taken found footage and chance encounters as far. Yet neither of these factoids determined the nature and extent of this festival of rumor reported as fact. It was sufficient for the group to have created a suitably controversial work, Christianity is Stupid, and for the imp of the perverse to inspire them to put it out, the initial bit of disinformation. After the print and broadcast media were infected, it remained only for the group to stay mum on the matter. Yet early in 1990, long after the story was exposed as false, sparks still flew. The group fretted about reprisals from a local TV station for the unauthorized use of sound snippets and from David Brom's lawyer who sought compensation for their use of his client's image in the cover graphic for their new release, Helter Stupid. So they're talking about in the interview about the tracks on side one, essentially it being a documentary about what happened. Mm -hmm. That's how the interviewer is framing it. Here, here's Don from the interview. We went through this whole experience and then we decided to make a record. And when we went to make the record, it came out as this total jumbled up mess of found stuff. In this case, it had kind of had a pseudo documentary feel to it. But still, if you listen to the record, you will learn practically nothing about the actual event that the record was stimulated by. It doesn't tell the story. It has a few people who were involved in the actual event in terms of found audio stuff, but it doesn't tell the story. You wouldn't even know what the whole issue is if you had nothing but the record to listen to. So then in this interview, they talk about the decision to include the timeline of events inside the release. Here's Don again. It needs to be explained because we're going to get accused of exploiting a tragic murder. Here's Mark. I'm realizing there's no way that we can get out of the fact that we have. We didn't mean to, but we have, and we might as well cop to it. Don. I hope that is not the point that people take away from the record, because if we thought that that was the main message, I don't think we would have recorded it. Everyone in the group was very uncomfortable about that aspect of it, and all the way through. Now that aspect exists. We are selling records that are based on a murder, using this subject to sell our next record. But there's other important important points to be made that can only be made by exploiting this particular subject that the news media could not resist dealing with. They didn't resist, they, so they took it down their path of cannibalization to an ultimate end, and that's what we saw happening, and that's what we wanted to pursue, not the fact of this actual murder. So here again, um, they're asking, has any, anyone looked further into the murder? Was there any argument about, about music between this kid and his parents? And like a lot of these news, um, like a lot of the news reported that as a fact. And here's Mark. I'll tell you this bizarre coincidence. As it turned out, someone who is in a band that's on the same label we're on knew, the, knew that family when he was younger. And it turns out that the boy had posters of other SST bands on his wall. This kind of kid was, you know, into punk and hardcore. So recently, we found out that SST actually has David Brom on their mailing list. He used to order records from the mail order. <laughs> and it talks also in this third man piece, there's mention of how he had a punk haircut. 
Did you see that yeah. part? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> Corey in that Third Man article did dig a bit more deeply, I think, into whether there was any fact to yeah. it. And I think what he found was, at most, the Brahms may have had an argument over an album cover, yeah. but not but not an actual piece of music. Yeah. Here's Mark again from this Mondo 2000 interview. I'll tell you something funny that happened that we didn't mention in the chronology. A month after we put out the first press release, we put out another press release saying there was an uproar going on because people were writing Ann Landers saying negative land song Nesbitt's Lime Soda was giving... <laughs> this is the press release they put out. They said it was giving bees a bad rap for stinging people in the tongue. <laughs> The release also said that the Beekeepers Association of America was complaining about our song. We sent this out as a press release thinking this will stop it. They'll get the idea that this is a joke. Of course, it went nowhere because it wasn't of interest. At a certain point, SST decided they no longer wanted to put out any more information associating themselves with this thing. They were concerned for themselves legally. We told the label to refer all, all phone calls to the band. We weren't asking them to cover for us. We didn't want them to compromise their integrity in any way. So that's kind of side one of this record, the Hel Helter Stupid record. Uh, side two of the uh, LP and cassette, and I guess like the second grouping of tracks on the CD, is entitled The Perfect Cut. Mark told me, what became side one started as an EP and grew into what is essentially two different records occupying one disc. It made sense to us both physically and design-wise as an LP. It kind of has two sides, two covers. I think it made less sense once a CD version was made. Mm. So we'll, we'll talk about a bit, a bit more about that when we get to the artwork, about how it's kind of presented as two, two separate sides, I suppose, or two separate LPs. Yeah, yeah. Side two is presented by Dick Vaughn, the recurring character played by Negative Land co-founder Richard Lyons. Rest in peace. It's based on his concept that they called Dick Vaughn's moribund music of the 70s. Here's Mark. Another angle for us was that no one in the media was doing 70s nostalgia yet because it was the early 80s. Still way too soon for that. So we thought it was funny and ridiculous to do a nostalgia show for a decade no one was nostalgic for. Um, and Dick kind of lays that concept out on the in the liner notes on the on the on side two, I suppose. Yeah, Corey Corey summarizes it in his article as the perfect cut being a deliciously cynical skewering of the marketing formulas driving commercial radio, particularly the classic pop rock formats, then assuming airwave dominance, and a slap at how empty consumerism shaped destinies. And he goes into some of the uh, the the songs in particular it's actually like people really need to get this article and listen to this record too there's yeah. so there's so much detail it is like a 10 page article yeah well and read dick's liner notes too um oh totally well he's the newly elected ringleader for the universal 70s revival yeah and we're gonna get another dose of dick vaughn's more about music of the 70s on episode 904 <laughs> in 1989 90 sst did this Mostly reissued 10 inches, a few 7 inches, and then these three Negative Land cassette-only releases with these 900 catalog numbers. I still don't know why they did that, but um, one of them is a, is a over-the-edge radio show, um, which is based around Dick Vaughn and his moribund music. So we'll be getting way deep into this. Well, yeah, I think there's three yeah, there is, yeah. cassettes, right? So... SST released this on CD, LP, and cassette in June of 1989. It was also released in 1989 on Swiss indie label Rec Rec Music on CD and LP. They definitely had a relationship with this label. Escape from Noise also came out on uh, Rec Rec. In 2004, Sealand reissued Helter Stupid with revised artwork. Um, the backside of the SST version also says it was available on eight track. I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't find that anywhere. Probably bullshit, but you never know. I have, I do have some evaporators eight tracks that Nardwar sent me one time. Yeah. So 
You never know. Side one, Helter Stupid. Pretty ingenious title. It's a play on the Manson murders and how, the, you know, there was a media frenzy about Manson and what he was listening to. That's the kind of the tie-in there. You know, he was obviously listening to the White Album. Apparently, he supposedly heard these messages about the coming apocalypse and and or whatever. Race war. Race war, yeah. Helter Skelter is also the, the name of the definitive book on the subject. 1974's Helter Skelter book. I read it like 30 years ago. I still have it. And I was thumbing through through the section on his obsession with the White Album this week. Um, some of the members said the line, when I get to the bottom, I go back to the top of the slide and all that was, according to Manson, a reference to the family emerging from the bottomless pit. Ooh. Yeah. Here's from the book. Manson apparently first heard the White Album in Los Angeles while on a trip there from Barker Ranch, where most of the family remained. When Manson returned to Death Valley on December 31st, 1968, he told the group, Are you hep to what the Beatles are saying? Helter Skelter is coming down. The Beatles are telling it like it is. Of course they are. Yep. Let's go through these tracks, Ryan. Yeah, man. W-W-E-W-P. History Lesson Part 2. Did you catch that? No. What would Estes Washington Perkle do? <laughs> All right. Track one, side one. So this is the side one, I guess, on the CD and LP is the Helder Stupid side. We've got the prologue. It's four minutes. There's these samples of someone saying, you know, let's spend the night together. Light my fire. These song titles, it kind of reminds me of the Escape from Noise track, Michael Jackson, where a G DJ is just naming popular bands from the era. Yeah, I can't get no satisfaction. Yeah. There's an ad for a monster movie, the theme song from that KPIX newscast. Yeah, they, they even sample Christianity is Stupid, or at least the track from the movie again in this prologue. Well, so what that is, Ryan, is that if you watch that KPIX newscast, that that's what that's from. They play it. Oh, they play it on okay. the newscast. They they pretty much play this whole thing here with reporter Hal, Hal Eisner saying, "Negative Land's music is highly critical of the mass media." <laughs> that's the ultimate irony that he's he's kind of yeah. saying that on the newscast. You know. <laughs> yeah, jokes on him. Yeah, I like the line in in this newscast about how he's saying essentially that negative land's been slogging away for nine nine years and they finally got their big break and they were going to go on this tour but then this had to go and happen and it just ruined everything yeah things had finally taken a positive turn <laughs> <laughs> so that's the prologue it's basically the newscast and then we get into the song helter stupid which is like 18 minutes long starts with this supposed um Rolling Stone reporter Tom, Cr Tom Crottenmaker phoning the band to ask if there's backwards masking over the song Christianity is Stupid. You would assume that it is him, but it's not. It's kind of, he's he's interviewed in this Third Man article too, and he, he says... Extensively, yeah. yeah. He says, no, that wasn't me. I was <laughs> kind of shocked when I first heard it. It was apparently the, the band phoning a receptionist at, at SST to kind of recreate this this phone call. Yeah, I wonder who that is at SST who was playing Tom, hey? Maybe Joey Burns from Calexico. Oh, that'd be cool, yeah, hey? Yeah, because he was a receptionist around this yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, there's some stuff here taken from a Lenny Bruce record from 1959 called The Sick Humor of Lenny Bruce, uh, specifically the track Religions Incorporated. The song over this part is Soul Disco Tune Spring Rain by Silvetti. Uh, there's uh, some more samples of Rever Reverend Estes Perkle from the same sermon as the Christianity is Stupid sample. Um, these clips of high schoolers who knew David Brong saying he never showed any signs of being a homicidal maniac, those are all in that, that newscast, that KPIX news piece. The percussion under this part and the guy, pr the guy praying are from the 1970 film soundtrack for The Cross and The Switchblade. It's called The Addict's Psalm by Ralph Carmichael. That's where that part's taken from. You can hear uh, clips of the weatherman talking about backwards messaging. 
there's this part that says S-I-M-P-L-O-T. I think it's from an advertisement for this Simplot, maybe, an agriculture company based out of Idaho. A lot of this is guesswork on my part. Um, you can hear sampling of the Beatles, Beatles Helter Skelter, but splicing it with Perkle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Ch- Charlie Manson spewing bullshit. John Lennon is in there. Yep. Ingenious, I would say, splicing of a news report about Ozzy's song. Oh, yeah. You know, Ozzy's song, Stupid Solution, and ACDC's Highway to Stupid. <laughs> Uh, Robert F. Kennedy um, is in there, I would say. Sounds like it. Uh, more of the Silvetti song. I'm pretty sure I heard Mr. Magoo in there. I th- seem to recall hearing him on Helter- or on uh, Escape from Noise as well. Yeah. Um, what about this part? Wish death, wish death, two, two, wish death, wish death, two, oh, two. Oh, yeah, death wish, yep. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite parts is where it says, this isn't the, this is negative lens splicing this together. This isn't the first time someone has tried to blame a death on Hal Eisner. (laughs) (laughs) A Los Angeles couple claimed their son committed suicide after listening to a Hal Eisner story. (laughs) Uh, There's just so much going on here. It's hard to pick it all out. I hopefully, you know, our listener listeners will comment on our social media or, or send us an email about what all we're missing when we, for the samples on these tracks. Yeah, and you hear something new every time. Yeah. A cool thing I found while researching this project is the 180Gs, Ryan, which seems to be possibly all of this one guy, David Minnick. He's done a tribute. He's done tribute albums or full album covers of Trout Mask Replica, The Cardiacs, he did Singing to God, uh, The Residence Commercial Album, all of which you can find on this his wild ass bandcamp page for the 180Gs. This is the project. Unfortunately, what's not on his bandcamp is his tribute to Negative Land, which was actually released on Sea Land in 2007. Uh, he covers this this uh, Helter Stupid record with this this band, the 180Gs. It's pretty insane. You should definitely check it out. Okay, that's side one of of the uh, Helter Stupid record. Side two is called the Perfect Cut. So we track we start with the first track, the perfect cut canned music. This is the one that starts with uh, Dick Vaughn and Morbound music of the seventies. Mark told me the piece was written by Richard Lyons, aka Dick Vaughn, but read by a radio announcer friend of his. Oh, okay. Yeah, lots of samples uh, throughout side two, starting right away with this um, reading different types of radio jingles and promos possibly from a 1977 presentation called The Winning Score by a company called TM Century, uh, based out of Dallas. They provided jingles and production services for radio stations across the U.S. You can hear a sample. We'll hear variations on throughout Side 2 that say things like, Execute a Perfect Cut. Mark told me this is from a 1970s um, ad for the chainsaw company Steel. (laughs) (laughs) And as soon as he told me that, I started picking out sounds of chainsaws. You can hear little snippets of Of chainsaws. Oh, man, I got to listen to that again. I mean, I I mostly just heard it as a company trying to sell canned music, you know? Yep. Um, Couldn't place the disco song they sample, assuming that it is a sample. Mark told me most of the tracks on side two are built around loops of various 70s hit songs. But it was all, he said, it was also the first time we used an actual sampling keyboard as they had finally become affordable. We added strings, brass, and very bad viola. So the loop for this track is embellished quite a bit. And you can hear that when you listen to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He talks about in the interview how they used this sampling keyboard because they were super expensive. This is in the, the third man piece. And then they returned it when they were done. Yeah. <laughs> they had to rent it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's Malcolm McLaren uh, in this part from the Great Rock and Roll Swindle talking about marvelous, they were marvelous pirates. Yeah, right. Yeah. Track two, a perfect cut, Rudy Poops. Um, <laughs> this guy that's saying, I ain't heard nothing up and down the dial in the middle of the dial and nowhere and just a bunch of Rudy Poops. I could not find where that was sampled from and Mark couldn't recall either. Did you 
find anything, Ryan, no. about Rudy Poops? No, I I couldn't find anything about it. I could definitely pick out the uh, the Sookie sample that song, right? Yeah. So that it the, it's kind of a James Brown sound alike. It's King Floyd with the song Groove Me from 1970. Various uh, station ID jingles too in this in this track. Track three, perfect cut, good as gold. Mark thought the main sample in this song, which is a guy talking about which artists from the 80s are going to, to have staying power going into the 90s, and then naming a bunch of the artists maybe came from a TV show or interview or, a, or from talk radio. Springsteen, Prince, Michael yeah. Jackson, Olivia Newton-John, Kiss. <laughs> going uh, to get, they're as good as gold. Yep. Yeah. An ad for margarine with what I call the Yukon Cornelius voice. Uh, which I believe we also heard on Escape from Noise. And the reason I think it might be Yukon Cornelius too is because the voiceover from the ad references that he's only interested in gold. The song here is from Tavera's It Only Takes a Minute from 1975. Sounds like played on a turntable because they're winding the record back at, a, at certain points earlier in this track. Sounds to me like the song ends with a sample from Queens, Another One Bites the Dust. That's what I heard. A little bit, yeah. And then it goes straight into a perfect cut piece of meat. Meat. <laughs> uh, sounds like the same music as earlier on from the canned music track. Uh, the main sample is built around this cartoon kind of Muppet voice saying, I'd like a piece of meat. Budget. Mark, Mark says this is from a, cha a children's record we found called Mr. Noisy, based, based on a children's book, also sampled on Escape from Noise. Yeah, this song is totally about Mersh, right? Mm -hmm. Track 5, Perfect Cut, White Rabbit, and a Dog Named Gidget. So it's this teenage girl or preteen girl talking about all the things she wants when she grows up or gets to high school, including a white rabbit convertible and a dog named Gidget. Yeah, Volkswagen convertible. She says, the most important thing in my life is to go to heaven when I die. <laughs> the song during this part is Strawberry Letter 23 by the Brothers Johnson. And then you can hear some more, what's, who sounds like Casey Kasem to me in this song. Casey Kasem. Yep. It's kind of, I don't know, what would you call it? Is it, is it foreshadowing? Is it uh, like a prophecy? to have Casey Kasem on this track only for him to show up on some later negative land stuff. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? They're already sampling Casey. Yeah. Are you sure we didn't hear him on escape from noise? Oh, maybe we did. I can't remember. I just, I always think of him as, you know, the really too. Yeah, yeah. 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 For sure. Okay. The next track is perfect cut 11 minutes. Um, it's, it starts with someone winning a hundred, someone named Mark winning a hundred dollar bill. I don't know if that's Mark Hosler or not. Do you remember though when radio stations used used to call in and you'd win like cold hard cash, you know, like hundred dollars? Did I make it in? Did I make it in? Yeah. You'd have to drive to the radio station and then they give you like a physical piece of cash. Yeah. Like th those were the days. Yeah. Uh, more station ID ideas, probably from that um, TM Century, maybe. Notice how the orc orchestra accents the call letters to drive home your logo. I heard Frank Zappa in this a little bit, a little snippet of Zappa talking. Uh, and then an ad for cassettes where you, and then just name off a bunch of the artists you can purchase, similar to the, again, to that Michael Jackson cut off of Escape from Noise. Yeah. Sounds like someone is really pushing the benefit of radio jingles. Yeah. And then the last track is Perfect Cut 48 Hours. There's some radio jamming going on in this one. Little callback to Jam 84, JamCon yep. 84. Jam the box. Yep. Someone phoning in saying Dick Vaughn is a prostitute, which is in the dead wax on side two of this record, actually. That's what oh, it really? says. Yeah. Dick Vaughn oh, is no a prostitute. Way. Um, Casey and the Sunshine Band's Keep It Coming Love from 1977 is, is used here. An ad saying, now's the time. You've got 48 hours to save a lot of money. 
I heard a little snippet of Mungo Jerry's in the summertime. Yeah, and the track ends by like the needle getting stuck on the groove. It's like a uh, on the run out groove, you know. Yeah. And it's a, and they're leaving the room, and the guy goes, "What about the record?" And then the girl says, "Ah, they'll get it." And then someone says, "Copyright 1975." Yeah. That's the end of the record. Found this cool Bandcamp page, Ryan called. The National Cynical Network, which is a long-running Bay Area radio collage collective. Um, there's several releases on their page related to, to Negative Land. Um, sounds like some of the people from this collective maybe uh, worked with Don on the Over the Edge radio show. There's one called They Saved Zappa's Mustache, a Zappa-themed Over the Edge show from 1995 with Don and Phineas Narco of this uh, National Cynical Network. You'd probably like that. It's kind mm -hmm. of a, a tribute to Zap, I would say. Like, Negative Land allowed people to use their radio shows. So there's a number of them on this page, over-the-edge radio shows. Uh, there's a, a Negative Land release on this band camp called Live at the Oasis 1993. Um, but then there's a full version of helter stupid the over the edge mix on this band camp so it's not the original album it's a radio show performance kind of expanding on the themes from the helter stupid side of the the album the original running time of the the show was five hours cool. the, the v version here is all, almost the whole thing um it says on the band camp they don't know the exact air date but it's assumed to be from 1988 kind of right before the release of the album. Mark told me the record is one of my favorite albums of ours, and it's where Don Joyce really comes into his own as far as upping the density of found sounds we are using overlaid onto the music. He said, compare it to Escape from Noise, it's quite a leap. Mm. The artwork, Ryan. So to get the full concept, as Mark hinted at, you kind of need to look at the the LP version to see how it was presented as two separate albums, almost. Like, it has two album covers. The front is an article about the band. Not sure from where, it doesn't say. This is the one, though, that has the picture of the of David Brom and the newscaster. Dave McCatton? He was the, kind of the anchor on K KPIX. Look at the, uh, the caption, though, on that, hey? Yeah. It says, Killer Song. <laughs> like in the newscast, killer song. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I like how the article says, is it Richard Lyons is talking about how he, um, or someone threw a rock through his window, supposedly. Jeez, and man. then he says, we didn't know what to think. At first, we treated it as a hoax. <laughs> like, they just kept saying that. Apparently, they even said it to, um, to Hal Eisner mm -hmm. when he came to their practice space to interview him, something about... Oh, you know, the whole thing's a hoax or whatever. Yeah, they said it to him. <laughs> yeah. The whole thing's a hoax. Yeah. And then and then he wouldn't bite because no way, it's not a hoax. Yeah. This is real. I have to report this. <laughs> I, again, the whole thing, the whole concept is just so genius. Like the way they um, they wrote the album title, Helter Stupid, in, in, you know, bright pink or whatever. It's supposed to be written in blood, like at the Manson murders, like he wrote on the wall or they Piggy. wrote on the wall. Piggy Piggy. Yeah. Or Die Pigs, whatever they wrote. Yeah. The the Sealand version doesn't have the, the article or the photo. I don't know if they actually got, you know, told they had to take that off. Oh whatever. yeah, like a like an injunction on them. Yeah. It just has the the uh you know the the writing and the, the blood or whatever and then um the headlines Negative, land, negative Land's house arrest and Midwest slayings keep them home. Of course, it's got the liner notes we read, band photo, photo circa 1989. They always credit their photos uh, as some of the members of Negative Land. I don't think Mark's in that photo, unless that's possibly him with the paisley pants and the super long hair. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. He, he, had, he had short hair in like the, the interview and stuff with Hal Eisner, so unless he's wearing a wig and it doesn't look like a wig, I don't think Mark's in this. You've, you've got the weatherman there with the beard, and then yeah. Don's beside him. Richard is wearing his full Dick Vaughn get-up with the bow tie. Possibly yeah. Chris Gregg and or Ian Allen are the two with long hair. 
You can order a Christianity is Stupid shirt for $9. COD. Yep. And then, like we've mentioned, the backside of the LP is, is Dick Vaughn Presents. There's Richard in his, you know, his Dick Vaughn persona. You notice the uh, the perfect cut, like the symbol. It's a dollar sign, hey? Yeah. Everywhere on the album. Yeah. They've got him sitting in the dollar sign on the back cover. Even on the CD, I didn't look at the uh, the vinyl version. But it's obviously just all about the Mersh. Yep. Ballot result? Yeah, man. Ballot result. Well, this is another tough one. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I would just go with Helter Stupid, the, the main Is track. that right? You yeah. think so? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm in. It totally can keep your attention for the length of that track. Yeah. Man, I love getting into these Negative Land records, but it's, like, stressful. There's just so much, man. Yeah, and we're only scratching the surface. Props to Corey for, I would say, writing, you know, the definitive article on this release and perfect timing. It still is a timely release, perfect timing for us, because we have the benefit of it on the show. Just awesome. Yeah. Thanks to Katie for, from Third Man for, for the hookup there, and thanks to Mark for sending in some tidbits as well about Side 2. Side 1 is super well represented online, for, as far as information goes. It might be one of the more documented, actually, SST releases. Mm, yeah. Yeah, but the perfect cut, not so much. Yeah. So, Ryan, we're still in... Uh, Mojack summer vacation mode so hopefully two weeks we'll have a new episode but no promises but when we do drop our new episode what's it going to be Ryan? Brent it's going to be SST 253 the Meat Puppets Monsters LP nice hey everyone thanks for listening you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter Tumblr all at Mojack Pod we post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.